2: Today's episode is going to discuss uh, the role of businesses and corporations in pursuing social justice and other values in our society today. There often is an assumption, uh, sometimes an assumption actually furthered by those in the academic world and other circles, that there's a necessary conflict between business and social justice. Uh, But a historian would say, That, in fact, there have been many moments in our society, certainly not all moments, but many moments when businesses have been a very important positive value for social justice. This, again, is not always the case, but during our best moments in a democracy, businesses are contributing to social justice, and that's going to be the topic of our conversation today. We're very fortunate to be joined by Lata Reddy. She's a senior vice president of inclusive solutions at Prudential Financial and the chair of the Prudential Foundation. Uh, In these roles, uh, Ms. Reddy harnesses the power of capital markets to drive financial and social mobility by combining diversity strategies, impact investments, philanthropy, corporate contributions, and employee engagement with Prudential's full business capabilities. She helps position the company to promote inclusive economic opportunity and sustainable growth. Uh, She has played similar roles in other settings before, prior to joining Prudential. Ms. Reddy was a civil rights attorney with the U.S. Department of Education, maybe we'll get to hear a little bit about that too, Uh, and her dedication to promoting equity has spanned her career in the nonprofit, public, and private sectors. She has a Bachelor of Arts degree in economics from the University of Michigan. And a law degree from Emory University's School of Law. Uh, it, it sounds like you're very busy, Lata. Thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me. It's great to be here.
2: I'm so excited for this conversation. Uh, before we get into that conversation, as always, we have our scene setting poem from our podcast poet, uh, Mr. Zachary Suri. Uh, Zachary, what is the title of your poem today? The Dream. Well, we all need dreams these days. So let's, let's hear about the dream.
1: Joe Corporation set forth from the plains, ignoring the dirt and the pouring rains, with a spirit ideal forgotten and rare for the chasing of windmills and laissez-faire. And so came the country squire of capital ideal, looking for vagabonds to make a country real. It is a naive form of freedom, but an admirable scheme, helping ordinary people into an imaginary dream. For the cheeky night among nights of deceit is endearing and hopeful in long months of sleet. He rolls into an inn or an HQ to him, and he stares into the crowd and reaches out a limb. It is true that the arm is but a gesture of unconscious jest in a nation looking truly for a drink and some rest. And yes, the moon rocket steed is headed for windmills, but empty hope is hope and hearts can be filled. And to so many, this imaginary entity in empty clouds is deeply real, shovel in the ground and checks into the suffering crowds. The dirt on the floor is the dirt of the dream, and the janitor sweeps it with the same repetitive theme. The masses were once led by these knights of the brush, but now there are but three or four stragglers following in a rush. And there may once have been buildings built on such journeys, but the people are filled with other dreams now, other worries. Zachary, what is your poem about? My poem is really about the sort of, uh, a naive but inspiring idea of American corporation, uh, sorry, of American corporations and the pursuit of, of free markets. Um, but it's also really raises the question at the end about what is the role of a corporation today in, in today's America.
2: Well, that's the perfect place to t- turn to uh, Lata Reddy here. Um, uh, Lata, you've you've been in this field for so long and seen it from so many different points of view. How has Prudential's view of its public service role how has it changed over the last few years?
0: Yeah, well, first, uh, thank you, Zachary, for that poem. That was uh, amazing, and lots in there to think about. So, I, you know, I would say that Prudential is always understood that private entities have a role uh, to play with respect to public service. And any purpose-driven entity uh, would think the same. And in fact, Prudential is actually purpose-built in the sense that we were created to uh, address a public need, and that was the fact that working families did not have access to insurance products. Now, this was 145 years ago, uh, and that was, in fact, the reason Prudential was created. There have been defining moments along the way where we've confirmed our commitment to public service. I'd say 1967 was another one of those moments following the civil unrest in cities across the country, including our headquarters of Newark, New Jersey. Uh, Many companies chose to leave the city at that moment, but Prudential's leadership at the time step back and said, you know, what's the right thing to do here and for the business, for the community, and ultimately decided that it would stay in the city and help the city rebuild and change its trajectory from that moment on. And so that's a commitment we've upheld for the past 50 so plus years. We've doubled down on that commitment in recent years in terms of our efforts in the city. But what I'd say is it's, you know, it's really a, a platform that we've created that's based on our values. And it allows us to be both patient and nimble uh, and to move with the times and what the times demand. Um,
2: and it, it, there is this consistent core of values, uh, but it does seem to me also that the context has shaped uh, Prudential and other businesses that have these values. Uh, how in the last few years have you seen those values find new expression in Prudential's activities in different areas?
0: So the... State of the world, uh, you know, it, there are lots of different, again, moments, but probably following the, uh, you know, events of 2008 uh, and the impacts that that had on so many people and the the fact that the wealth disparity was um, widened and that people were more conscious of this over the years, I think... You know, that as well as certainly over the last few months, the simultaneous right, crises that the pandemic brought on uh, with respect to the health crisis and the economic crisis and then the uh, racial inequities that were laid bare for everyone to see if they weren't aware of them before. that th- Those things have all sharpened the focus of Prudential, certainly. So, as I said, right, we had the values present at our founding. We tried to live those values. Now, there are moments, and we can talk about them, where, you know, we weren't on the right side of history, as would be the case with any legacy company. Um, But again, over the past, you know, several decades, have tried to live those uh, in important ways. And over the past few years, I mean, sorry, the past few months, have uh, been very intentional about making sure that our associates, right, understand what the company stands for, what we're about, what we are trying to do, and how that is completely intertwined with our business strategy, right? These values don't stand apart from who we are as a company and what we're trying to achieve with respect to our business goals. And so that meant really centering the concept of equity in what we're trying to do as a business and really clearly articulating our multi-stakeholder model, even though, again, that's how we've operated for decades but really defining those in a more clear way. Mm.
1: There's a lot of uh, people, especially young people and uh, in my peers that I, that I talk to who feel that the, the model of American corporations is, is outdated or that the pursuit of profits can't go hand in hand with the pursuit of social justice. Uh, how would you respond to that? And how do you simultaneously pursue profits while also pursuing good? So I would actually say it's
0: the opposite, that you can't uh, companies can't grow without considering societal impacts. Meaning, if you look at the changing demographics alone, so it is clear that our workforce, right, is and will become inherently more diverse. Our customer base, the uh, you know regulatory environment, the investors' community, the, all of our different stakeholders are now looking to corporations in a very different way to understand. How we are behaving across these fronts. So there's certainly the external um, you know macro factors that are impacting that. There's the internal demand from our employees and certain younger generations, right um, who are have the expectation coming into the workplace that their uh, place of employment is going to be actively engaged in societal issues. And then I would say again on the the core sort of business strategy piece that, the, you know, certainly for certain businesses that may be more commoditized, right, if you're going to grow, you've got to start looking at different segments of the population to grow into and grow with. And so I would say all of those actually create an imperative that you can't have profit without purpose.
2: That makes a lot of sense. And and I, I, I really uh, like the point you made a about how uh, you as a successful uh entity as a successful organization have to be attentive to the context you're operating in and the context of a more diverse country, which is a big theme of our podcast each week. Uh, The diversity in our country requires you, if you're going to succeed, to become more diverse as an organization. Uh, I I thought maybe it would be valuable for you to share with our listeners what that means in practice. If you could give us maybe an example or two within Prudential. I've seen some of your public materials on racial sensitivity and attention, as you mentioned earlier, to your own history as an organization. Uh, I think it would be useful to share that with some of our listeners, if you could.
0: Sure. So maybe I'll start big picture. You know, we think about it as a kind of virtuous circle. So we're very much focused on the culture uh, of our workplace and making sure that it is fully inclusive and embraces everyone. Uh, And not only that, but everybody feels safe and welcome, right? That they can contribute and be successful. We believe, so starting with inclusion and you know, only then can you have true diversity uh, and broad-based diversity at all levels. And then what that will get you, right, is on the sort of execution side with respect to our business, uh, you know, what we offer as a business will get you the diversity of thinking necessary to create solutions that are going to be more diverse and more inclusive uh, going forward. And so, That's how we think about it. That's where the organization that I lead within Prudential, which is called Inclusive Solutions, how we work across the enterprise with our colleagues to address those three, you know, areas. And so um, I'll give you one very maybe practical example of how this can manifest. So we have Prudential, right, has a retirement business. We know that 50% 50% or almost 50% of Americans do not have $400 in emergency savings, right? A startling statistic.
2: Wow. Wow.
0: Yeah. And so that presents, right, a crisis on its own. And what that means is that people who are fortunate to you know, even have a retirement plan are often pulling out of that retirement plan. So the leakage, right, problem. And we know that that's pronounced, especially for people of color. And so the problems just get compounded, right? When you think about, again, the wealth disparity by race. And so we saw an opportunity from both, right, again, operating at the intersection of business and society to uh, create a an offering, an emergency savings vehicle that allowed people to save and therefore have access, right, to have liquidity when they have an emergency and enable them to not have to dip into the requir- uh, retirement plans, which, again, we know would have a compounding negative factor uh, when they do that. So we partnered with one of our uh, or brought in one of our external partners, a nonprofit that you know does this work with our retirement business and my team to really kind of kick the tires on what are the features we would need in this emergency savings vehicle to make it relevant to more financially fragile you know, populations. And then began to offer that to our retirement clients who are large employers so that they could offer that to their employees.
2: And if I might ask, is, is this a, a product that you're able to um, profit from or are you, are you doing this in a, in a way that's not profitable for the organization?
0: Well, what it does is it enhances our value proposition to our employer clients. Right. So in essence, we're trying to compete by uh, making sure that we're delivering on the needs of their employees. And so ultimately, yes, it is you know, about generating profit uh, as well as addressing this very pressing societal
2: issue. That sounds like uh, such an important uh, program that you put into place. And I can only imagine the number of families that will be saved in many ways by this. Uh, uh, drilling down on this just a little further, w- what role does government play? And I don't just mean federal government, local and state government. Oftentimes, people think of government as uh, getting in the way on one side of the political spectrum or on the other side. People think you know government has to come in and take things over? What role does government play from your perspective?
0: Yeah, I, I recently heard it expressed in an interesting way by a colleague who had uh, worked in the government. And, you know, he described it as right, setting the context, the government's role is to set the context so that people who do the right things get rewarded. And that, you know, government really should be incentivizing um, that behavior, right, that we're all focused on the things that are really working and trying to get them to scale and so you know i think there's something to that right government brings different things the private sector brings different things and i think inherent right in what this is about is that need to partner because no one entity can do it on their own and so you know to me it's really whether depending on the level of government right what are their kind of key capabilities what are they Responsible for, and then how can we bring our assets to bear on whatever challenges they're facing? Um, So, for example, the local level, right? If um, they are doing something around, I'll say, police reform or, um, you know, safety in their city, uh, how can we as a corporation partner with them? You know, how can they? Uh, And that becomes a win-win, by the way, when you're located in that community, right? As a business, we've got employees coming into that city every day. And so um, we've got an interest in that. The local government obviously has an interest for their residents. We care about the residents as well. So, um, you know, it's, can we help them on some innovative ideas, right? They might have something that they think um, can enable better community policing, for example. And perhaps we can fund something, right? We've got high-risk capital that we can put in that can spark some innovation and partner in that way. So I think there are different roles that, um, depending on the level, that government can and should play.
2: Right, right. Uh, and and it sounds it sounds so vital what you're describing. And and in a some way, in in some ways, it, it's something that seems intuitive. But in, in my experience, not all businesses do that. Um, I think of the city of Austin, and, and there are a lot of uh, businesses we have here that are doing this kind of work and others that aren't. What, what is it that de- defines the entities that are doing this, and, and how, what motivates them to get involved beyond their values? I mean, it seems to me that this is an incredible investment that Prudential's making. Can you walk us through that decision-making a little bit? <laughs>
0: I think, again, it has to do, if you're really operating, as I said, at that intersection, then you understand that uh, there's something, right, that will be beneficial to the business. There's something that will be beneficial to society and that uh, there's an incentive in that, right, to continue to do that work. So if you just take, and, and to me, that's, Not only is that fine, right, that's what it's going to take, that if you have an opportunity, you think about sort of the spectrum of impact and returns, right? And so why wouldn't you, in my mind, start at the far end on the return side? So obviously you'd want high returns, high impact, right? That would be the ideal place to operate. You could move, you know, further towards the impact and lower on the return scale. That's fine, too. Um, and you, like that, right? You can keep um, changing the equation or the balance. But to me, why wouldn't you start with the high return, high impact, meaning a commercial opportunity that can drive success at scale? So again, the incentive for business is it's commercial; it you know can drive enhance our bottom line, and we're doing something that again, it's hard. So what I guess what I'm trying to get to is it's not just it's not an and; it's a right. with.
2: Yeah. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. And and it, it seems to me that we're seeing uh, along the lines of what you're describing so well here, we're seeing many public entities like Prudential doing this, especially in the last few months. I think of uh, sports franchises, right? I think mm-hmm. of the NBA, I think of the NFL, Um But then I also wonder, why did it take so long? And it sounds like Prudential's been doing this work, especially in Newark, for a long time since the uh, um, civil rights activities in the late 1960s. But not all entities have. And and do you think that this is really a different moment now for the industry as a whole because of what's happened with the 2007-2008 recession that you talked about, but also obviously with the civil rights activism? Uh, and Black Lives Matter, um, and the evidence of such uh, horrible mistreatment of certain groups within our society, evidence that we knew was there, but now is so so blatantly in front of us. Do you you think this is a different moment now, industry-wide?
0: I do think it's a different moment. And just to go back to, you know, so I think what, in terms of Prudential, right, we are unique in the sense that we're a Fortune 50 company that is headquartered in a city like Newark, that has suffered from decades of disinvestment. And so, right, there are fewer and fewer corporations, if you could maybe name a handful, that have that same um, situation. And so what that means is we've had, you know, we've been embedded in a community that has uh, suffered from structural barriers, structural racism, right? The systems that have been built um, over the years that were intended to keep certain parts of the population out, right, and behind, namely uh, Black people. And so that experience can't be discounted, right? So that um, level of understanding and the fact that we are in the community, right, every day um, when we were not in a virtual environment, um, it gives us a an understanding, a sensitivity and, uh, you know, the ability, right, to really um, work in partnership to address these Uh, these systemic issues. So I think that's probably why, you know, we've been going at it for so long in a different way. I think this moment, right, is really a moment of reckoning, as you said, and every institution is being called to uh, look within and look outside of themselves as well and understand the impact they're having. And so, uh, you know, there are things entities do that are having a negative impact it might be unintentional but it is still having an impact and so it's a deeper analysis than right they've had to do in the past what the hope is is that this as people have been saying goes from a moment to a movement and that it is sustained
2: right It it sounds like you're describing a movement. It has all the elements that we've talked about uh, in prior uh, podcast episodes, often with social justice activists like yourself, but in different settings. Uh, You have a mission. Uh, you have a, a clear purpose, and you've organized people and resources to pursue that, and you're raising consciousness. So, so what you're describing to me sounds like a social movement. A- and as, as we've talked about on this podcast, that's how change happens in democracies. It's actually very much about grassroots social movements that that bring change towards the way we view communities and the way we think about policy in our society, and policymakers often are reacting to that. Uh, we've also talked on the podcast, Lata, though, about opposition groups, uh, and not necessarily ill willed opposition groups, but how we are a pluralistic society. And oftentimes, um, Achieving uh, equity for some groups means taking privilege away from others. and privilege is very difficult for anyone to to give up. How does Prudential and how do other entities that you've worked with how do they respond to uh, stakeholders who have a different point of view and have different economic interests?
0: Mm-hmm. So a couple of things. The you know we talk about both the moral and the business imperative of this. And so, you know, it's definitely about meeting people where they are um, and about hearts and minds. And so, if, you know, many people are going to understand the need to do this from the moral imperative lens, it's absolutely the right thing to do, right? We as a society need to do better. Others are going to come at it purely from the business point of view of, okay, I understand the changing demographics, I understand that my, you know, investors in my business want me to be doing things in a certain way and have more diverse employees or a more diverse board, et cetera. Some are going to, you know, come at it from both points of view. And so that will take care of, I think, a lot of people, right? Helping them see it through one or both of those lenses. I think then there are going to be some uh, who it's, you know, simply, look, this is who we are as a company. These are the values we uphold. These are the expectations about how employees, right, need to behave and do their jobs. And if that is not something you agree with or are comfortable with, then this, you know, perhaps is not the place for you.
2: But I I guess um, what I struggle with and and, uh, other guests have talked about uh, are are situations where you as an organization are fully on board with everything you said, and it, it sounds incredibly well thought through but you do have powerful external entities, Mm. uh, public, private, governmental. Um, You know, we struggle with this at universities. Uh, Sometimes we have powerful stakeholders who don't want us to do racial sensitivity training and things of that sort. So what can we learn from how you've navigated (laughs) these kinds of issues? Please tell us.
0: (laughs) Well, look, you know, I mean, a lot of it's about leadership right and having the support of leaders of the entity so at you know prudential I'm very fortunate to have a we have a board of directors and C suite leadership who who get this and are committed to it and you know understand uh and in fact each successive CEO I've been around long enough to have worked for several that there was an understanding right when they came into the role uh, and an understanding that the board imparted on them that they were going to continue this work. Right. It wasn't a question of if Prudential was going to continue to play an active role in society. It was how, right. What was that CEO's vision for what the company would do next? And so that's a very different right orientation. And, you know, I think we've been fortunate in that we've been able to communicate uh, to people who potentially would, as you said, be those opposing forces externally why we do right what we do. And when you can tie it to the business that, you know, as closely as you can, that helps a lot because people understand. So, you know, whether it's your shareholders or others that, okay, you're not, you know, doing something here and giving away all these resources over here that in fact, the two are connected and, you know, I'll do better because you're doing this other work.
2: That, that's such a, a powerful message, and I just want to underscore it because you said it so eloquently. Uh, and it's a recurring theme, I think, in the scholarship and certainly on our podcast, which is that one of the opportunities in a democracy uh, is to create positive incentives for people to do the right thing, that actually democracy or pluralist society, as James Madison talked about, it works best when when people are doing good because doing good things actually provides benefits to multiple communities at the same time. And there are these these opportunities I think I think that's 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 how a market society should work. It's not just profit; it's mutual benefit. And uh, I'm I'm so impressed with the way you describe that. Uh, we always like to close on a positive note, and this has been a very positive, hopeful podcast, which we all need right now <laughs> uh, for for young people, for my students, Lata, who uh, really are uh, eager. <laughs> Uh, to roll up their sleeves and make a difference. My students are concerned about the future of our country more so than I think you and I were when we were in college. They're, they're motivated to get involved. They're such a, a, an idealistic, uh, involved, engaged generation of students. Uh, but they also uh, believe that uh, to survive in society, you have to do well as well. You have to earn an income and, and they don't want to take a vow of poverty. Uh, how, how can I help them? And how can they find pathways as they're starting their careers to get involved in the work that you're talking about in in multiple different ways, if it's environmental activities or social justice on racial and gender lines, how how would you recommend they think about and begin their careers?
0: So I think it's, you know, I've been fortunate that I've been able to follow my passion and make that my work. And so I think that is becoming uh, a more, a Reality for more and more people now, given what we just discussed, that right every business is having to look now or every institution at how well or not they are addressing societal issues and I think so I think there'll be many more opportunities for younger generations coming up to find that sweet spot of I can right make a living, support myself and and my family or whatever right uh, they need to do and do it in a a job or in a company or a or, you know an organization that shares my values and acts on those values. And so, you know, I think we're in a bit of a transition moment. So I would say definitely kick the tires and and really understand whether it's, you know, more performative than actual. Um, but I would say, yeah, you know, pursue that passion and um and understand that you can do it in many more ways than you could have done in the past.
2: And, and I guess one, one last question on this, uh, because this is so uh, idealistic and practical at the same time, which which I love. How should young people find the entities uh, like what you're describing at Prudential, which will offer them that space? How can they identify them? How can they know when, when an organization is uh, walking the walk and talking the talk?
0: Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, there are all these lists out there now and I'm not a big list person, but I think they're helpful. And I certainly look at them and I like to see Prudential's name on them, but, uh, you know, the fortune most admired companies change fortune change the world list. Um, just capital, uh, has lists of companies, right. And ranks companies in terms of how they're doing on these, uh, societal issues. And so, you know, I'd say start there, right? Do some research. There's a lot more information out there about companies that are squarely focused on this and how they're doing it and going about it. And, you know, then I think, though, that will get you so far. Unfortunately, I think it's, you know, if you can uh, get to talk to people who are in those companies, right, to really get a sense from people who work there or who are leaders there, uh, how they think about it and how they're doing the work will give you you know, the insights you need.
2: So, Zachary, um, w- what do you think of all this? As, as a young person who uh, is deeply concerned about the future of our country and someone who, uh, like his dad, is a news junkie, <laughs> uh, how, how do you think about these issues? For your generation, is, is what Lata is describing, is, is this powerful and persuasive and attractive to you? What are your reactions?
1: I think it's very powerful in the sense that we don't have to compromise in life, right? Telling young people that, that you can be a good citizen and a, a good business person and, and live a good life at the same time, which I think is really what our generation is looking for. But I do think also that there is, that there is a lot of spirit in young people to sort of change institutions from the ground up, not just to, um, Go inside institutions and try and promote change, but to but to create new institutions. So I think hopefully in the next few years we'll see some new corporations and some new new uh, market institutions that will promote even more uh, benefiting society and and doing good in their communities. Right.
2: Well, that makes a lot of sense. And that merges, I think, uh, the ethos of the startup with the ethos of, of the uh, corporation. And and I think, uh, as Lata has, has explained, ingenuity and in entrepreneurship can find a home in a strong organization like Prudential. Lata, thank you so much for sharing your insights, your experiences, and, and, and most of all for giving us, I think, a really inspirational vision of how um, business and social justice uh, can go together in our society, how they have to go together. And and I'm inspired by your words. I hope many of our listeners will be. I encourage our listeners to to look up a lot already. Don't necessarily bombard her email, though I'm sure she'll be happy to answer some emails. Uh, But it's really uh, wonderful to have you on. Thank you for sharing your insights with us.
0: Thank you very much for having me.
2: And Zachary, thank you, as always, for your uh, wonderful poem. And uh, most of all, thank you to our listeners who have joined us for this episode of This Is Democracy.
1: This podcast is produced by the Liberal Arts Development Studio and the College of Liberal Arts at the University of Texas at Austin. The music in this episode was written and recorded by Harrison Lemke, and you can find his music at harrisonlemke.com. Subscribe and stay tuned for a new episode every Thursday featuring new perspectives on democracy.